Thank you so much for tuning in to Northridge Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you a part of our weekly service. For more information, please visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. Well, uh, it is such an honor to be here with you guys today. I can't even begin to tell you how much love and respect I've got for this church and for Pastor Mark. You know, it's funny, he called me this past week, and I looked down at my caller ID, and it popped up saying the call was coming from Russia. Uh, So I looked down at my phone, and my wife, Lindsay, was sitting next to me, and I said, This cannot be good. I don't know what I did, but this cannot be good. So reluctantly, I picked it up, and all I heard was, hey, is this Luke? And I was like, this dude's not from Russia. You know, like, so, and it was just Pastor Mark calling me from Puerto Rico. So I don't know what's going on with Puerto Rico and Russia that we're getting some things tangled up there, but it was good to hear from him. You know, he was telling me that he just hates being away from you guys. He was telling me how much he loves you and misses you and wishes he could be here, but it was really just incredible to hear from him all the amazing things that you guys are doing for the kingdom of God. And from the bottom of my heart, it is truly just an honor to be here today and be able to play a small part in what God is doing through you guys by being with you this morning. So thank you guys for having me and being just incredibly hospitable and everything else. So uh, before we move into everything God has for us, though, I have to introduce you to somebody, my beautiful wife, Lindsay. Lindsay is here with me today. Everybody say hey to Lindsay real quick, okay? Yep. So she's, she's feeling a little under the weather, but at the same time, uh, she drove here just to be with you guys this morning, and she's not a morning person. So it's been, uh, which is tough when you're a preacher. So it's been amazing to have her here with us. And before you ask, the answer is no, we don't have kids. We're actively praying against that right now. Uh, So we don't have children, but we do have Knox, our beloved English bulldog, in whom we are well pleased. And so he is the pride and joy of our lives and also a fantastic way to keep baby fever out of our house. So uh, on that note, uh, we are going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6 today. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. So if you're flipping there in your Bibles, go ahead and get there. If you are scrolling on your phones and you, you know... Just what, like to use the Bible app, that's cool too, do your thing. But in the meantime, I want to tell you a little bit about where we're going today because it's great that we're all here, but it's really where is God taking us? So my message today is titled Made in the Mess, Made in the Mess. And here's kind of the idea behind that. I don't know everyone in here. In fact, we just met, so I don't know everything about you. I don't know much about you at all. I don't know where you work or how much money you make. I don't have a clue if you're married or not, happily or not. I don't know what your relationship status is with your kids, if it's rocky or really gone pretty well. But I do know all of this about us, and it's that your life is messy, my life is messy, And the central tenet that applies to all of us in here is that the King of Kings left the glory of heaven to come and meet us in our mess, wash us clean, and call us His to bring us into His arms and adopt us into the family of God as sons and daughters of the one true King. But we don't like messy. We don't like messy. 
We want our lives to look as clean as possible. So nobody, you know, you don't get on Instagram or Facebook. Nobody's posting a photo with their spouse after a fight like, hey, just dropping it on your timeline today to let you know that we just had World War III. We currently hate each other's guts and aren't speaking. Happy Sunday. Like, nobody does that. But I think some of us could probably receive an Oscar for the way that we act and dress our lives up as pretty and pristine. And and listen, I'm not advocating that we all start just airing all of our dirty laundry out on social media because that would be equally as annoying. But what I am saying is that there is always more to someone's life than what originally meets the eye. That someone has, is, or will be going through something in their life. And I think we have this fear that if if people knew about the messiness in our lives, then we would always be labeled by that mess, that we would always be associated with it, and we wouldn't be able to get out of it. You know, I've, I've often heard people say, whenever they look at the messiness of their life, hey, you know what, the good thing is, guys, that mess that you got going on right there, without the mess, there is no message. And I think that's I think that's good and that's true. I think that's something that we can really grab hold of. But if you peel that back just a little bit deeper, if we look deeper into the muck of the mess of that situation, what we find is that, yes, without the mess, there is no message. But the reality is, without me, there is no mess. But here's the good news. Messy work is divine work, and God is a doer of messy work. When God made man in the Garden of Eden, how did he do it? From the dust of the earth. And after we broke faith with God, he reconciled us back to him through the blood of the cross that Jesus shed for you and for me. And so Jesus is not only someone who comes and meets us in our mess, but he thrives in it. Creating newness out of brokenness, creating something out of nothing, creating life from death. It's by dirt that we came into being and by blood that we came into receiving everything we could ever need in Jesus Christ. I think the message translation kind of captures the cry of our hearts so beautifully. In Psalm 40:17, when the psalmist says, And me, I'm a mess. I am nothing and I have nothing. I need you, God, you've got what it takes, you can do it, but God, don't put it off. Don't put it off. I believe God wants to do something special in and through you for your good and his glory, but his process of preparation, his method of molding and shaping us is often a lot different than what we expected, and it's often different than what the culture sells us as something that would be successful. So it takes a real situation to really get into the middle of that and understand what God is doing. Oftentimes, it's a messy situation before we're able to see that we need to drop a worldly perception of what God is doing in our life to grab hold of a godly perspective, to look beyond what's happening right here and right now towards the horizon of what it is that God really wants us to see and what he's really doing in our lives. So Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. I hope that you made it there with me. If not, don't worry. I'm going to read. You guys just follow along. But this is what God's word has to say. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. 
So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. If you're taking notes or if you've got a a tangible Bible there, just write your name right next to where that says, O house of Israel. It says, O house of Israel. Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Will you guys pray with me really quickly before we jump into things here? Well, God, thank you for today. God, I just thank you for every single person that's in this place, Lord. They may not even know how they got here or why they're here. But Lord, you know, you know the exact number of hairs on their head. You know what's going on in their life right now. You know the messiness of what's going on in their life right now. Maybe it's not happening right now, but it's something that happened in the past. And God, they just can't seem to let go of that. They can't seem to get free of those chains there. God, I pray that today they would know that there is a supernatural anointing on this place, God, that you are here to break change, that we're not, we're not here to be here and just wonder, man, I wonder if today's going to be the day that God's going to do something amazing in my life. No, God, help them to realize you've already done it. They just need to walk free, that you have come to clean up the mess and that you have. God, I pray that you would do something amazing in this place where we would walk away from here going whatever was in that room on that day. God had his hand on this moment. And so, Lord, these moments are yours. God, let your words be what comes out of my mouth, not my own. Let these people in this place be receptive to everything that you want to do in here. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before the United States became the United States, we were all just a bunch of disgruntled neighbors that had a common goal, which was to be a free nation. The problem was that we were up against one of the world's most powerful armies. They were highly experienced, incredibly disciplined, well-funded, and we were, uh, we were none of those things. So we knew we had a problem. The British had taken over Philadelphia, which was our capital at the time. We were entering a brutal winter, and it looked like the Americans were doomed to fail. We needed help, and we knew it. And help arrived on February 23rd, 1778 at Valley Forge in the form of a man named Baron Friedrich von Steuben, who stepped onto the scene to help Washington's troops. So von Steuben went throughout the soldiers' camp, and and he was talking to soldiers and inspecting what was going on with their circumstances. He looked at their housing, their food, their equipment, and he said, this is appalling. No army could have held together under these circumstances. The Americans are short on everything except for spirit. So as he went and was talking to the soldiers, he would go from camp to camp, from tent to tent, and say, hey, what's going on? Why why are things not going well? And what he found was that a lot of these individuals had been learning different drills and formations, and so when they got out onto the battlefield, it was complete and total chaos because nobody was doing what the other was doing. Everybody was out of sync. And so von Steuben decided, we need to get back to the basics here. 
And what he found was that he needed to teach them how to quickly reload their muskets. He taught them how to use a bayonet. He taught them to march in compact columns rather than long lines. And really what he was doing is he was teaching them methods that they had missed. And when the fighting began back in the spring, it was noticeable. Because rather than getting ran over, the troops held their ground. And in fact, von Steuben's methods were so instrumental in the success of the Americans' victories there and their ability to be able to get soldiers safely to places where they needed to go and supplies where they needed to go to help win this war that we still use some of the methods that von Steuben implemented back then. But you got to look at the situation and go, well, before von Steuben showed up, things were not going well. We were getting crushed on the battlefield. And my question for us today, the reason I tell you that is because I wonder, have you ever felt like that in your own life? Have you ever felt like God called you, but you're questioning it because it's not going how you thought it would? You see, the troops knew what their calling was. It was to fight for freedom, but it wasn't going well. Why is that? Why would it not be going well if they knew what their calling was? And it's not that they lacked methods, but that they had been given the wrong methods. And when the right method had been introduced to the madness of their situation, they were able to be molded into who they were called to be so that they could carry out what they were called to do. Wrong methods in our lives, wrong methods create confusion and chaos. And if we're not careful, we'll think that we're following the right method when really it's just once we get out on the battlefield of life, it's complete and total chaos because we thought we were in sync, but really we're not. And if we're honest, I think we'd come to the conclusion that God has a way of molding and shaping us, but it can be really, really, really annoying sometimes, can't it? We see what God does, right, in the way that he molds and shapes us. And we can really figure out the way that he does it and what annoys us about it, what frustrates us about it through the questions that we ask. We ask, Lord, why don't I have the opportunity that they have? Lord, where's the money? God, why does it look like you're opening up a door for my life and I run to get through that thing and it slams in my face? What's up with that? Why, Lord? Why? When? Hurry. God, where are you? But can I tell you something? Contrary to what maybe you've heard in church before and and from other preachers, like life is not supposed to be just some huge, scary, chaotic situation, and then we die. And then things are just like ethereal and amazing, and it's just like, all right, like we're in heaven. When God calls us to carry out his assignments in this life, we often want clarity and direction on the methods that he's going to use in order to get us where he's called us to go. But that's not what God offers us. He offers us this in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, when Paul says, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So God isn't over here promising that his methods will always make sense. You look at the scripture and he promises us that there's no need to panic. The cure to chaos and confusion in our walk with God isn't clarity on his methods. It's the peace of knowing that we can trust his methods. Because better than the clarity of knowing what God is doing in every moment of every day for the rest of your life is the peace of knowing that God goes with you every step of the way, every step of the journey for the rest of your life. And you can trust that his ways, thoughts, and methods are greater than our own. 
God's method of molding and shaping us is often different than what we wanted or expected, but we have to abandon this worldly perception of progress and grab hold of a godly perspective of progress. Baron von Steuben's story is a story of perspective. He walks into a mess of a situation, right? He's working with an army that's hungry. They've got poor equipment, poor housing, They didn't even have the discipline to march together. That's how they were described. And that's what the rest of the world saw when they looked at this army. And that's what von Steuben saw. But he also was able to see beyond what everyone else was looking at. He was able to see a group that had grit and was willing to be made into something special. So he reworked them into a finely tuned vessel. When Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, what does he see in chapter 18? In verse 4, it says, The vessel of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and the potter reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now, feel free to say or write amen somewhere in the margin of your Bible if you know that this is true, that what the potter wants to do with the clay and what the clay feels like doing do not always line up. They don't line up. In case you're not sure, God's the potter, we're the clay. That would be all of us. It can be obnoxious. It can be frustrating and confusing. It doesn't make sense to us. But let me say it like this. We see in the scripture that God has a different way of doing this as he shows Jeremiah in verse 4 of chapter 18. But what we see from God is that sometimes God gives us what we need rather than what we want. Because what we want will often move us towards our desires. It might move us towards our desires, but what we need will lead us towards our destiny. And so it's greater to be within the destiny that God has got for us than our own desires. But we often chase our own desires, and the culture has a way of saying, hey, this is what's going to make you successful to getting towards what you want. But God has a way of saying, hey, submit yourself into my hand, and I'll give you what you need. If a potter can take clay and turn it into different pieces that help serve a purpose around a home, how much more do you think God is going to do in your life if you're able to keep a godly perspective of how he works in the messiness of your life? Perspective is a powerful thing. I think for a lot of us that are in here right now, if we would just tweak our perspective a little bit, it would change the trajectory of our path because we would be moving away from what we want for ourselves and in line with the will of God and what he wants for our lives. To quote the great theologian Albus Dumbledore, it is our choices that show us what we truly are far more than our abilities. It's our choices. What does Von Steuben do? He chooses to help the American troops when they lacked equipment, nutrition, and direction. The troops chose to be obedient to that direction, even though they were freezing, starving, and had absolutely no chance at winning this war. They were an underdog. Jeremiah sees the potter with this clay in his hands, and he sees that it starts to form a little bit differently than what was originally intended. And what does he see the potter do? The potter doesn't throw it away. He reworks it. And so my question for us is, will we choose to be obedient to what God wants to do in our life? Will we allow God to rework us in the way that he sees fit? Because it's easy to say, and it's very difficult to do. 
And much like Von Steuben's situation that he walks into, the mess that he inherits, life is often at its messiest before we're able to see beyond the mess, right? It's only after we've gotten through that pain where we thought breakthrough wasn't possible or after we've gone through that horrible relationship or addiction that we can see exactly what it was that God was doing as we were in the midst of the mess. I think Soren Kierkegaard said it best when he said, life is understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We have to move forward with God through the mess in order to get to the other side of that mess and see what God was seeing and be able to put together why he was doing what he was doing the way that he was doing it. I think everyone's probably heard this saying before. uh, Perception is reality. Perception is reality. Meaning that what people see is generally what they believe and take as the truth based on what we can see, hear, touch, taste, and smell, right? Even if there might be more to the story that we're missing, it's just like, hey, first impressions, that's why they're a big deal, right? Took a lot to get over mine with her. But it takes a lot. Perception's reality. So we take what we see at face value and what we see in front of us and what we can infer from what's going on in front of us is often what we believe is the truth. Here's the thing, though. A godly perspective does not bow to worldly perception, ever. A few years ago, I had this mysterious illness that doctors could not find out. They just couldn't figure it out. And I can't even begin to tell you the fear and frustration that I was feeling. It was, it was driving me nuts. So for six months... I was going to the doctor almost every week and they could not figure out what was what was wrong with my body. I lost over 40 pounds. I had no energy. It was terrible. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't handle it well. I was not nearly as far along in my walk with the Lord as I thought I was. So I was having mental and emotional breakdowns. I was, I was cursing God. I was a wreck. I'd been married for less than a year and the doctors weren't able to rule out cancer. And I'm going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And they kept running all these tests on me. They were running colonoscopies, endoscopies, endoscopy. I've had it. Like, I mean, they were doing everything. And for those of you that are like, what's an endoscopy, colonoscopy? I mean, the chill way to put that is they were looking through the attic and the basement to find out what's going on with me. They could not figure it out. <laughs> they were like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think you're just, something's wrong with you. But here's the thing. When I first started noticing my symptoms, I did something you should never do. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else today, never, ever, ever do this. When I first started noticing my symptoms, I Googled them and I ended up on WebMD. All right. Here's the thing about WebMD. WebMD is worldly perception at its finest. I get on WebMD, and within 20 minutes, we go from Advil ought to do it to me picking out my favorite wood grain casket and what should be inscribed on my tombstone. WebMD is a problem. But months later, as I kept losing weight, I remember the day I hit my breaking point, and I went into the bathroom to weigh myself, and on this day in particular, I was down 33 pounds, And I took my shirt off because I was about to get in the shower and the highlights of my week at this point were taking a shower with the lights off. It was a real joyful time in life. And as I took my shirt off, I remember looking in the mirror and I could see my ribs so visibly that I was measuring the space between them with my fingers. I turned around and I could see my vertebrae all the way down my spine and I could count them with my finger and see it. It was terrible. 
And as I turned the lights off and got in the shower, I was filled with this fear and frustration. But out of nowhere, I don't know what happened. I don't know why I did this. I just started to worship and I started weeping. I mean, my, my life had been a mess. And this was really the first time in that moment that I had decided that God was going to bring me through to the other side so that I could see exactly what it is that he was seeing to understand why he was doing what he was doing. And now by the grace of God, I can look back on that time and I can see that he was taking me through some valleys that he really had to drag me out of that I didn't want to come out of. Some valleys y'all might know well called self-reliance, pride, anger, to name a few. My wife could probably name you a few more. I don't feel like talking about it. And all I can say is thank God that WebMD can give me their take at face value, but they don't have the final say. And if I believed everything that I saw to be the truth, I would have been in trouble. In fact, I did take everything that I saw to be the truth and it got me in trouble. But a godly perspective is one that looks at life through the lens of the faith and hope that we have available to us in Jesus Christ. It takes 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight, from being the verse on your favorite throw pillow to the very pillow that you can rest easy on at night no matter what your circumstances are because when everything happening in front of you and around you looks like a mess when God gets his hands into the mess of your life what you'll come to find out is that as God puts his hand into your situation messes in life are really just miracle making fertilizer when they're in the hands of God God does something amazing in the mess that you can't understand or see right now if I believe Everything that I see to be certain, I am not looking at my life through a proper Jesus-centered, cross-shaped perspective. I'm seeing the crucifixion of Jesus, and I'm not sticking around for the resurrection of Jesus. As I see Jesus crucified on a cross, I'm saying, that's it. He's done. He's dead. I thought, I thought he was. I thought he was my God. I thought he was my Savior. But look, they're burying him. There's no life in him. And I'm just giving up my seat as heaven waits on the edge of its seat because a godly perspective is a three days later mindset. It's an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. I've now, honestly, probably, I don't know how many videos I've watched now of watching a a potter turn clay into jars. I know that sounds like really weird, but in preparation for this message, it's a surprisingly soothing thing. Honestly, if you can't sleep at night, give it a shot. But you watch this, this guy take clay and turn it into jars. And it's amazing how tedious the potter is taking a slab of clay and turning it into a functional piece with a purpose is a process. It takes a lot. And in Jeremiah 18, six, where it says, Oh, house of Israel, I had you write your name by that at the beginning of the message when we read the scripture together. Because if you read that the way that it is with your name in it, instead of saying, oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you? It would say for me, Luke, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, Luke. And it's the same for you. Clay's purpose is maximized when it's placed in the hands of the potter. The same way that our lives and their purpose are maximized when we place our lives in the hands of the God who gave us life in the first place. But it's not always comfortable. It's not comfortable at all. You see, you can't just bring clay in from outside and start turning it into jars. I didn't know this until I became a pottery expert. 
but you can't do that. You have to get all the impurities out of the clay first before it is willing to be submitted into the potter's hand so that the potter can do with it as he pleases and create it into what it needs to be so that it will thrive for the purpose in which it was created. So after that, the clay is thrown on a potter's wheel and this is where things get crazy messy. You take water and you start turning it into a circular form. Then you press it down, build it up, pull it apart, smash it down. You do all the things to it and then you open it up. And it starts to take a little form and then the lip is made and the lip gets made wider and thicker so it won't break as you pour things out of it. It's made more hollow and larger on the inside so that it can hold more. And just when the potter is looking at it and he's thinking, oh my gosh, this is starting to get done right. You see it kind of go off on its own and there's like some awkward formation that starts to be made in the process of creating this jar. And so it's starting to form contrary to the way that the potter has intended it to thrive as, and the potter doesn't take it and and throw it away and just be like, thank you, next. No, he takes it and he patiently reworks it in the form. And just as he's starting to see it become what he thinks is good, he's still not done. It's only then that he takes it and puts it in the fire of a kiln so that it can truly become sturdy and steady enough to fulfill its purpose. It takes a godly perspective to work towards a godly objective. Messy hands make beautiful pottery, and as God molds and shapes you, it may look messy, but there is beauty in it. There is purpose in it. But even as I say that, I know there are people that are sitting in here that are going, Luke, that sounds incredible. Uh, Just not for me, honestly. Because I used to have that perspective that you're talking about on these situations. I used to think that I had purpose like that, but, but somewhere along the way, that purpose shattered for me. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's abuse in your life. Maybe it's an addiction. Dreams that never came to fruition. You lost someone that you were close to. Maybe you didn't lose someone that you were close to, but your trust was betrayed by someone that you thought would never hurt you. Maybe it's just insecurity that's kept you from being everything that you feel like God has called you to be. And I think if I took all of us right now and put our thoughts on a projector, and I said, let's, let's look at what's gone on in all of our lives, I think what we would find is there's always that one mess or maybe a multitude of messes, that thing or things that we could point to and say, that right there is where I began to believe that my purpose was shattered. It's that moment, that that mess, that mess right there that I'm afraid even God doesn't want anything to do with, that even God couldn't clean up that right there. That's where I was too broken to be used. That's where my purpose was shattered. But can I tell you that God can bring true beauty and breakthrough out of broken pieces that we never thought could come together again? A few years ago, I was reading this article about a, a Japanese art called Kintsugi. Stick with me, people, okay? A Japanese art called Kintsugi. And Kintsugi is an art that repairs broken ceramics or pottery with a lacquer that's been mixed with gold, silver, or platinum. And the idea behind it is that rather than hiding the damage that's been done to the piece, rather you magnify the beauty of the repairs that restored it. 
Even better is that those repairs actually make it more valuable and beautiful than the piece was prior to being broken. So rather than seeing a bunch of broken pieces that need to be thrown away, you look at what once was and realize that what's to come is going to be even better. You don't take broken pieces and throw them together with this golden lacquer and say, look, good as new. No, you, you carefully pick up each piece and even though it may take a while, you you put it back into its original place to help the piece serve its purpose. And yeah, it can take a while to get it to the way that it once was, but then you carefully seal it with this lacquer that's beautiful and expensive. And you look at that piece again and you say, there it is more beautiful than it ever was before. That's a godly perspective in a messy situation. And it's a reminder of the beauty of being made new and whole through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And no matter how broken we've been in our lives, no matter what that person said about us or what we've done or what's been done to us, Jesus Christ came down to this earth, picked up all of our pieces and sealed us back together with the lacquer of his blood that has made us whole because of what he was willing to pour out for you and for I on the cross. And I don't know where you find yourself today or what your circumstances are as the band comes up here but you aren't defined by them. You aren't defined by the circumstances that you're in the middle of dealing with right now. You're not defined by your struggles. Our struggles don't define us. They refine us. They don't define us. They refine us. We aren't made of the messes in our lives. We're made in the messes in our lives. Isaiah 64, 8 says this. It says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Can I tell you something about your father's hands, about the Lord's hands? Can, can I let you know, it's, I'm with you, it's not always easy to surrender our lives into the potter's hands and be like, you're the potter, I'm the clay, do your thing. Like, I don't imagine that as Jesus is, is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to the point of agonizing, sweating blood, that he's particularly excited about submitting what is about to go down in his life into the hands of his father. In fact, we know that he prays that this cup might pass from him, but when it doesn't, what does he say? He says, your will be done. Your will be done. And he gets up and he walks in obedience. But you know why you can trust your father's hands as he's doing this uncomfortable molding and shaping in your life? It's because the same hands that are doing the uncomfortable molding and shaping of your life are the very same hands that willingly stretched out on the cross to save your life and my life. Life is messy. The gospel is messy. We have to have a godly perspective over worldly perception. And I know we've got people in here that are hurting, that have felt broken, I know you're stressed. I know you've got class and expectations. I know you've got a job and a budget and a spouse and kids, and you've got all these things that you need to do. I know that you felt like a poor mom or an underachieving husband. I know you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord over here, but you've got all these other areas where you have to grow in order to do the things that you need to do for your family over here. I know that you've felt like things are a mess, but more importantly, he knows. Jesus knows our lives are messy. He didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. He came to call sinners to repentance that we might be healed by his wounds. His body was broken so that we might be made whole and his blood was poured out so that we could have life in him. He's never been afraid of a mess and he's not about to start with yours. He's not about to start with yours. 
And so I don't know what it is in your life. I've already talked to a few of you today where I learned about what those messes were, what you're currently going through. And I just want to give you an opportunity today. If you would just, if you would just bow your heads with your eyes closed, I just wonder how many people would be vulnerable enough today to say, I know what that mess is in my life that holds me back, that keeps me from feeling like I can be who God has called me to be or do what I've been called to do. If you would just, if you would just raise your hand and say, I know what that mess is in my life. I wonder if anyone would be vulnerable enough to do that and say, God, I feel like I'm lost my purpose somewhere along the way that it's been shattered. And if that's you, you can put your hand down. I I want you to know that I want to pray over all of us right here, but I know we're going to have some deacons up front. And if there's something that you feel like I need to turn my life over to the Lord, and maybe you've already given your life to the Lord, but you're like, you know what? I need to, this particular mess, this particular thing, I need to give that over to the Lord. Because even though I'm following the Lord, I'm following in a broken spot. And you can come and pray with these guys. I'm going to pray over all of us and then I'll be down front as well if you'd like to pray with me. I just want you to know that you can be made whole again, that you don't have to live from a place of identity in a broken mess and always feeling like I'm just so broken. I'm so messed up. Nothing's right in my life. God has made you right with him. You are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And so God, I just thank you for all these people. Thank you for who they are and and what they're doing. God, I thank you for the messes that they've been through in their life that maybe they can't see the purpose of it right now. But you're doing something in that. That you have a reason for all the things that you do, God. And I pray that more than anything, as we encounter messes in our lives in the future, that we would be able to see, Lord, your will be done. God, thank you for what you've brought me through. God, I just ask that your healing hand would be on this place and that you would do what only you can do. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Mark, and I want to personally thank you for joining us today in this Northridge podcast. Pray that you've been greatly blessed, and if you've made a decision to follow Christ, please connect with us that we may answer any questions and rejoice with you in this greatest decision. Also, if you're ever in our area, we'd love for you to come to one of our services at 11 a.m. at the Ridge that we can meet you personally and continue to rejoice with you in the decisions that you've made. God bless, and we hope that you'll tune in next time for our Northridge Church podcast.